You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Again, this summer we're going to be looking at the parables or some of the parables in the book of Matthew. And so last week you looked at the purpose of the parables and set it up as what Jesus taught us in regards to Matthew 13 in the middle of the parable of the sower. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower from Matthew, but I also want you to understand that Mark and Luke also have this parable, and there are some little nuances. And I want you to think about this because, one, it's an important parable. It's the beginning parable of the kingdom, but there's also different perspectives. And so uh, you might see that I'm pulling in something that you're like, where the heck did the pastor get that? Go and read the passages in both Mark and in Luke, and you will get a a well-orbed understanding of the parable of the sower. Now, there are four things that are consistent. The seed that is sown, the sower, the sowing, and the soil, the types of soil. So all of that is consistent, but we'll get a couple of different perspectives. Now, as we begin to look at this, the sower, I want you to understand, sows the gospel lavishly and indiscriminately. And so, again, it's different than how we look at agriculture today. So if we were doing agriculture today, we would go out and we would till the soil first. We would go out into the field and we would turn over the soil. We'd get it soft. We would take out all the imperfections. And then we would go and plant seed. Then we would water it. Then we would um, look for the crop. That's not how it was done in Jesus' day. The sower would have gone out and he would have taken and he would have taken the seed and thrown the seed everywhere. Then after the seed was sown, then he goes and tills the soil. We want to see that because the big part of this picture of this parable is on the sower. I know we put a lot of emphasis on the soil, but I want to put the emphasis on the sower. So Please don't think that you have heard this and check out, because I'm about to tell you this applies to you even if you are good soil, because there's still opportunities for weeds to grow and rocks to find their way into your patch. But I also want to encourage you that, again, this isn't a one-time event. The sower didn't go out and just sow the seed one time. And this is a big deal for me because I kind of grew up thinking that you were one of the four soils and you were there forever. So I would look at somebody and if they were a bad person, I would go, oh, well, they're a bad soil. They're a rocky soil. They're never going to know Christ. I'm going to heaven. Bad for you. It's not a one-time sowing. So this should be an encouragement for us, especially us who are of the Reformed faith. You're not called for the results. You're not held accountable for the results. You are held accountable for going out and sowing the seed. And are we doing it like Christ taught us to go lavishly selling our seed and throwing it wherever it might land because you never know. Let me give you a true life example. The first church that I was hired on in, uh, in Chattanooga, um, one of the elders, how he came to Christ was he was on, uh, he was off base. He was in the army. He was in a very cheap, uh, hotel or motel. I don't know which one, but he was uh, in a place that was very cheap. So the walls were very thin. And what he did is he heard the gospel presentation in the next room. 
And so there was someone in another room giving a gospel presentation to someone else. And maybe they didn't even respond. But this elder heard the gospel presentation through a wall and responded and received Christ. So we're held accountable to go out and to spread the seed lavishly, indiscriminately, always telling people of the hope that we have, just like Christ has told us. But listen, this is the key to what Jesus is doing. So if we don't get this parable, then we're not going to understand the rest. So let us look to the Lord in prayer, and then let us look to this parable of the sower. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to their passage, Lord, we know that it is you. Lord, as uh, Mike has already read for us from Ezekiel, it's you who does this. You who changes hearts. You who bring the Spirit. You who allow your name to be great in all the world. Lord, it's nothing of us. It's called the parable of the sower, not of the soils. So, Father, let us get out of our mind that it's about the different types of people But Lord, may we go back to what it's supposed to be about, that we serve a loving God who comes and speaks truth and loves us with an unending love. And then, Father, give us hearts and heads to understand and receive the gospel message clearly but effectively. And let this morning make us look more like our Savior than when we came. For we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. If you see people in green shirts and you start seeing their heads bob, elbow them, okay? They don't get to sleep just because they were here all weekend for youth camp, all right? So nobody gets to sleep. Parable, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, and then the explanation, verses 18 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some feeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they were withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced some grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then turning to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. After what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So we're going to look at this parable. We're going to unpack it by each of the soil types, but again, focusing upon the sower. So the first soil is one where people have hard hearts. So this is the worn path. Now there is a hardness to it. Now, how does this come about? Now, all of us understand 
that if you've ever been like on a college campus or if you've been at a place that has uh, great yards and lawns, okay, usually there are beautiful sidewalks that go outside of those lawns. However, where if there are open fields or those open lawns, especially on college campuses, you will find on those great quads some areas where the, there are now trails going through the grass. Because let's be honest, college students want what's easy. So they don't walk along the sidewalks and take care of the grass. They cut across the grass to get to class as quickly as possible. And what happens, it wears that part of the ground bare. And so there's an understanding that, again, what's happening here is there's a wearing of the ground that's being worn underfoot. So people are walking this path, and that path is the sin that hardens our heart. And I want you to understand that this is the heart that we're born with. All of us are sinful. All of us have a hard heart. And so, again, what we don't need to do is to start thinking of sin as just being bad or doing bad things. We can do good things and it still be sin. If we're not doing it for God's glory or if God didn't ask us to do it. So again, we can be doing things for the world or in the world and it still be sin. And so we have to remind ourselves that sin is always um, hardening our heart. We're wearing it down and it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit for us. And what happens is we are so self-centered that we constantly wear over and over on our heart. And left unto ourselves, it becomes what? All about ourselves. It becomes all about me. And so we have to realize that, again, it's, it's a natural tendency. It's something that we do. We all want to take the easy path. And so what happens is we find ourselves mocking God becoming angry with him, some even becoming hostile. But all people who have a hard heart are disinterested in the things of God. And I give you this example. Again, I had the opportunity, the privilege to, to coach over Holy Trinity. And again, a lot of those kids, even though they were on a Christian campus, the majority of them didn't know Christ as their personal savior. So there was an opportunity that I had when I was there preaching to them and being at one of their coaches and I developed some relationships. And I remember talking very clearly to a couple of the guys that I'd grown fond of and trying to talk to them about Christ. And I remember very specifically one of these kids looking back at me and saying, coach, I just don't have time for that. Within one year, he was the kid that on his motorcycle was killed over here on US-1. You never... No. And so when we continually put this, this habit of saying, hey, maybe later in life, maybe that's when I'll be more open to things. You don't know. And so we become this habitual sinner, this hardness of our hearts, and it says that the evil one, the evil one comes and tries to destroy it. Now, why is that? One, the seed that falls on the hard ground is, is easy. It's easy to spot, right? It's an exposed seed. And so it becomes easily spotted by the birds. And it says the birds come and eat it, remember? But it also says in the other passages that Satan comes. Now, why is he doing that? 
Because he wants the seed of the gospel to be devoured. He, he doesn't want us to sit there and think about it. Now think about this. If you've ever seen some th- seeds blown, you will see the remnants of the seed growing in weird places. Don't we? I've had seeds growing out of the side of my house. Out of stucco. How does that happen? One the thing is, how did the seed get there? God had it blown there, or something put it there, but the seed was sown, and there's no soil there, and it still grows. Satan is sitting there, and he wants to immediately, because he knows that if the seed has time to germinate, it will grow. And so he comes, and he wants to to make sure that we don't believe, and it says in one of the passages, and be saved. So Satan is coming around and he's looking to try to devour us. He's trying to get us to think of everything but God. And again, Satan doesn't have to have us hate God. I think C.S. Lewis is right. If we just become forgetful of God, then he's one. And so there's the hard ground where, again, we allow the hardness to keep coming up, but then Satan is always trying to steal away the seed. But the sower is the one who comes and tills the ground. Remember, there are places where people put up those little ropes and stuff like that. And some of those groundkeepers will win back that trail. Because they have to till the ground. They have to pull it up. They have to make sure that it's watered and taken care of. And then eventually, the seed can grow. So the sower is the one who's tilling the ground. Even the hard heart. The second heart is the one who comes in and has a shallow heart. And so what do they do? They respond in joy. It's immediate. And this is deceptive because, again, it's a quick response. Maybe it's the people that said the prayer. Okay, and I'm not saying that if you were someone who was saved at a rally or at a a place and um, you said the prayer and you said, well, that's when I came to know Christ, that could be true. But I know that there's a lot of people, like me included, who were told as a child, hey, if you say this prayer, if you got hit by a bus tonight, then you will stand in heaven and God will have saved your soul because you said a prayer. Nowhere in the scripture does it say there's a special prayer for you to pray. It says give your life to Christ. Now, if you did say a prayer and you said, I gave my life to Christ, congratulations. Good deal. But you're not saved by a prayer. Please understand that. Just because you come to church, that does not save you. Because you've gone down an aisle does not save you. But there are people who hear the gospel message, they respond immediately to joy, but it says there's no root. But when there's no root, listen, when there's no root to go deep, then the shoot explodes in growth. So you see the, the deception of the plant and you think, oh, Charlie said the prayer last night. I think he's a Christian. Not so quick. Because sometimes people go for the rush of excitement, but then there's no more thoughts about the thing. Or they find themselves dealing with real life again. Again, there's been a lot of times that I've had kids go on camps or our kids go on mission trips and they make a, a response, a quick response, um, only to see after the, the week or the, the, the um, couple weeks that we were on, have no desire whatsoever to be uh, in Christ or be back in the youth group. Now, why is that? 
R.C. Sproul says this one, no one is ever justified by a profession of faith. Rather, we are brought into a justified relationship with Christ by the possession of faith. See, there has to be something that makes those deep roots. Because again, we, we love the experience, right? It's why we're entertaining. It's why we try to build churches by um, principles of, of the world, but what happens is a lot of times, um, let me give you this true story. More people today are spending more money on a wedding than they care about the marriage. They love the wedding, they hate the marriage. And so they're about the experience. So we buy into lies like, I want to live my best life now. And so we want an experience with God, but we don't want the relationship with God. It'd be like if we had an opportunity to spend a day with a celebrity. Now, when the cameras are running, we might like that celebrity. We might like everything that's going on. But when the cameras are off, when you get to know that person in a real way, they might not be a very nice person. So a lot of times that's what people do with Jesus. I want the experience of Jesus. I want the good times with Jesus. But when the trials and the tribulations come, they don't want the experience anymore. They don't want to have that relationship. Because again, in the midst of the trials, listen, it says that there's going to be the sun that comes out. Now again, the sun is not bad in and of itself. And the reality for us is we should understand that trials, tribulations, and persecutions, everyone, every person on this world is going to experience trials, tribulations, persecutions. Not all the same way, but everyone's going to experience them. So how do we deal with them? That's the question. But for the plant that grow that's good, we need the sun, because the sun makes us push our roots deep. So we're not sitting there by just the external rain. We have deep roots. We understand this in Florida. We have orange crops around us. There are times where we need cold nights. Yes, even Floridians need to put on jackets every once in a while. We need to worry that there is a freeze warning. But we don't just let the orange trees sit out there, be exposed. We go bring heaters out there. We make sure that they don't freeze. But the cold is needed. It makes the fruit sweeter. God knows that we need these trials, tribulations, persecutions for us to have our roots go deep. But when our roots are shallow, when it doesn't go down to the moisture and to the soil, then when the sun comes up, and the trials and the persecutions come, it burns up and it withers away. And so when I became a Christian, when I walked into the, the football locker room, I didn't want anybody to know. Because I didn't want to be made fun of. And so I lived for a lot of my time being one way on Sunday and around Christian people in a completely different way at school. So much so that when a friend of mine was working in an office and my mom had to come in and I probably forgot something and she had to bring something in. 
And she said, oh, do you know my son, Jeffrey? Oh, yeah, I know, I know your son, Jeffrey. Oh, yeah, he's this, you know, this great Christian kid, and you know, he's doing all these kind of things. And my friend laughed. Are we talking about the same person? My mom comes home heartbroken. Jeffrey, they, they laughed. Why would that? Because I'm one way on one day and another the next day. I had a shallow heart. But the sower comes and he tills the soil. Every time, if you've been out there, you don't get every rock the first time. But every time you hit a rock, you take it and you throw it out of the garden. You don't bury the rock deeper. You take the ground that gets tilled and the things that come up to the top, the things that you find as a barrier, you take them and you throw them out of the garden. That's what Jesus does to us. He keeps coming. He keeps taking those rocks that he finds, this shallowness. He becomes and he keeps tilling it up. Which brings us to another soil, the soil that has a distracted heart. Why do we say a distracted heart? Because if you look at it, this is a place that already has occupied territory. The seed, it says, falls among the weeds and thorns. It's already occupied. And I want you to grasp and understand that the weeds and the thorns should make you go back to the curse that was found in Eden. What happened when they sinned? God cursed the ground. The things that were supposed to be easy in the garden. Now think about that. If you could go to your garden and you fixed it one time and one time only and it did exactly what you wanted to do. It grew to the exact level that you wanted it to grow to. It didn't overgrow things. It didn't have weeds come up. If you could have your perfect garden all the time and all you had to do was one time, wouldn't that be lovely? But we deal with the curse. And so there's thorns and there's weeds. And listen, they are growing. And what's happening is that they have become, um, they're feeding on the nourishment. And they are being hardy and they infest the ground. And so when the seed's thrown there, the good plant finds itself being strangled. And so what happens is we truly desire to go after fleeting pleasures, momentary things. Because we don't look at the long term. And we don't, in some ways, pull out the weed. See, we find ourselves in the midst of the cares of the world. And again, this is where the the different uh, perspectives gives you this. There's three different thorn bushes that are talked about. Cares of the world... The riches of the world and the pleasures of the world. So again, we can get caught up with things like um, I'm going through a sickness. I have trouble with these things. I have ongoing diseases. I have ongoing problems. There are world wars. There are famines. Or we can get caught up in our careers. Or we can get caught up in our understanding of what happens with our 401s or our 403s. Or we begin to hang on things. Or we may find that we start going after the pleasures of the world. I like to have these kind of parties. I like to have, um, I like to, to do this. I like to watch these kind of things. 
And listen, all of that's not bad in and of itself. Because it can become things like family becomes so important to you. It can become your job. It can become your career. It can become church. But listen, when the good gifts become a substitute for Christ, then that's a poor substitute. And so what God is telling us is that when the cares of the world comes, a lot of times we make the cares or we make the things that are good in our lives become idols in our lives. And so we take good things and they become ultimate things. And so we give them our adoration. We give to them our allegiance. I used to tell the the students this, and I know they don't do this anymore, but in my day, we used to actually use our lockers. Okay, everybody just has backpacks now. But in my day, we used the lockers. And I could say, I could tell you exactly what a teenager loves in his world by what he has up in his locker and on his folders. I can tell you what you love most of all by how you spend your money in your checkbook. You don't have checkbooks anymore. Venmo or whatever you might do. I know where your heart is because that's where you're pouring your time and your energy and your money. And the question for us, all of us, has it become an ultimate thing? See, what this means a lot of times, if you look at this passage, it's, remember the seed goes amongst the thorns and the, the, um, the weeds. And so what that should be in application to us is a lot of us want to add Jesus to our system. I want to do what I want to do, but I just want to add a little bit of Jesus. Again, that, that, that was me. I never wanted to be in church ministry. Never. And I got a business degree and an economics minor. And I wanted to go on and get my MBA. And I wanted to make lots of money so I never ever had to wear hand-me-down underwear. And my kids were never going to wear hand-me-down underwear. And so I wanted to make money. I wanted to make my, my life comfortable. And so what I wanted to do was to do Jesus on the side. I'll come to church. I'll help out with youth group. But I'm about me. And my things. So we want to add Jesus to the side. And so when that happens, a lot of times what we do is we start telling Jesus what we're going to do. Or what we're not going to do. And then ask him to bless it. I remember very clearly one of my friends saying, um, he left the ministry, he wanted to come back in. And he's like, yeah, I'm praying that, that God allows me to get back in the ministry. And I started getting him some names of churches um, outside of the, the city and outside of the area. And he's just like, oh, I'm not leaving this area. <laughs> what if God calls you to another state? No, all of my extended family's here. I'm telling God he needs to give me a ministry here in this city. That's a very dangerous place to be when we start telling God what it is we're going to do and what we want. And he has to bless it if he wants our service. See, what happens is we begin to love the treasure of this world more than our love for Jesus and his kingdom. So now we need to ask that question. Where is our love? Where is our, 
where are we looking for? Where, where are we finding our significance and security? In Jesus or is it in the world? But again, the sower comes in and he tills. And again, a lot of times when we start telling God, I won't do this, if you are a Christian, if he's someone that you loves, he doesn't let you stay there. You know that? I think that's one of the coolest things about God. Oh, really? You're not going to do that. Well, I'm going to create a scenario so that is the only thing that you have. So that you might call out to him. So he comes in and he tills the soil and he takes and he rips up the weeds and the thorns. And I'm telling you, that hurts. And here's the bad thing. They will come back. That, to me, if you're going to find a job, that's one of the best ones. I'll rip out your weeds for a lot of money. And guess what? Keep my number. Because they're coming back again. But God goes to the very root and he rips the roots of those things out and he says, I am number one. So he tills the soil. Then the last one is he gives to us is his receptive heart. And this is obviously the good soil, and it's the one where he says we hear the word and we understand it and apply it. But what I don't want you to do is to think that good soil somehow equals good people. Don't do it. There is no one that is righteous. You all look really good. You clean up really well. Most of you, if not all of you, smell good. Most of you, if not all of you, are moral people. None of you came out here and flattened anybody's tires. You didn't throw nails and stuff underneath the back tires of people. So when they back out of here, they get flat tires and you think that's funny. Now, if that happens, I'm going to look to Mike Palmer for doing that. But most of you are nice people. Nice. But your hearts are sinful if they're not changed by Christ. Because all you care about is you. You, 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 you. Those little seagulls, remember on the finding, what is it? Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. That's you. And you're annoying. And so am I. See, again, it's the sower that has come in, that has ripped up the hard ground, has come and taken the rocks and thrown them out of the garden, has ripped up the thorns and the weeds, and he's tilled the ground to the place where we are receptive to the word. See, regeneration precedes faith. He's the one who gives us the ability to hear the word and to respond. It's the Father. That's why I think it doesn't say, hey, go out and till the ground and then cast the seed. We try to fix it. We try to make our crops grow properly. God says, I go out and I sow the seed, then I go and till the ground. It's him. And so when he goes and tills the ground, it's God that's at work with us. And when God's at work with us, then we have the ability to respond. We start to grow. We start to listen. And when that happens, we begin to produce fruit. 
And that's the evidence that we have. See, we're not justified, justified by faith alone, but we're not in a faith that is alone. We show good works. We show the fruit. How do we know that? John 15. This is where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that, he is that one who bears much fruit. So you go from you bear fruit, he prunes it, you bear more fruit, and then he says then you bear much fruit. See, again, as we grow in Christ, as we allow the word to, to go deep into our hearts, as we allow our roots to go deep, they are watered. They're watered in the word. They're watered by prayer. They're watered by fellowship. That's when you start, if somebody in here is starting to be like, oh, I don't like this. Uh, they're not in the word. They're not praying. Their roots are not going deep. They are withering. Because again, I was telling the Sunday school class this morning, God gave to us the spirit of God, singular. He doesn't give Jesus one spirit. He doesn't give um, Brandon one spirit and me a different spirit. We all have the same spirit. So you know what? If you're a Christian and we all have the same spirit, we're all going the same way. So we become united. So when we see each other, we get excited. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be best friends with everybody in here. But if you come in here and you say, I don't like that person, you don't understand. I hate that. I hate this. Then you're not allowing the spirit to move and to lead you and to guide you. So we need the sower to come in and to till the soil again because it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. That's our old nature. But here's the thing. The sower never gets tired. He never gets tired. And he keeps coming and he keeps going to our hearts and he keeps tilling it over and over and over again. And if you are alive, if you are listening to me, there is nothing that cannot be repaired and forgiven by Jesus Christ. Nothing. So those of you who live a defeated life and saying, God cannot forgive me for that, that is a lie of Satan himself. And he says, I have paid the price upon the cross. And I took your hell so you don't have to ever experience it. Come and be nourished and fed and loved, forgiven. But there's also others here who think that you have arrived and God has done a good job choosing you. And that's a deception of Satan himself too. Don't let your self-righteousness begin to divide you from other people and to begin to say, I don't like those people. If you're in Christ, you are brothers and sisters 
one body, one people. And again, the cool thing is, is Jesus doesn't stop working or loving us. He never quits. He continually tills the soil. So it's about the sower. And it's my prayer, truly my prayer, that this would be a place where everyone is welcome. And not because we put it on a sign. Or not because we've made a political statement. But I'm also here to tell you, God does not leave us where we are. Everyone should be welcome here. But everybody should be ready to have their lives turned upside down. Because that's the goodness of the gospel message. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, come and be the sower that you are. Allow the Holy Spirit to so move in our lives that you change this church. You change us individually, but you also change us corporately, that we would be about building your kingdom, doing the things that bring you glory and honor. Lord, that you would have the opportunity and the right to come into our lives and to take the hardness, the things that we look at on our computer, the things that we've done in our lives that, we're, that we've put into a closet and we've locked the door and we've put a bookcase in front of it. Lord, that you would go deep and that you would rip it out. Lord, the things that we have kept from other people the things that we have said, I don't like you, the things that we have put in place of you, the things that of the good things that we have said, this is more important than Jesus and you, please God, rip it out and replace it with fruitful hearts, hearts that are loving and joyful and peace and patient and kind self-controlled. And then, Lord, may we see that crop grow and expand some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Father, use us in spite of ourselves. But may we be sold out for Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the sower that he gave his life as a ransom for ours to pay for our sins, but to also give us his righteousness. So when we stand before you, you see Jesus in him alone. Father, all of this we pray in the power of that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.